0: Consummate athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement.
1: And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life.
0: Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes.
1: We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter. How's it going?
0: I'm doing well. Yes, I am. I'm thriving even.
1: Thriving, you say? Two weeks into dog ownership?
0: Well, that's I'm starting to get back on top of the sleep, but uh, it wasn't so bad.
1: No, we've actually been pretty lucky. I have to admit, DW has not been too bad with the the sleep training so far. Um, Although he he tends to uh, sleep most of the day and then be super rambunctious between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m.
0: Yeah, he does. He does wake up early, but I think we've been very lucky as far as puppies go. No sleepless nights.
1: I think so. And I mean, I thank you so much to all of the the listeners who've hopped on Instagram, um, whether it's at athlete or to me or Peter and given us some some helpful hints or tips or, you know, shared what worked with them with puppy training. This is definitely a new arena for us. Yes.
0: And I've been certainly getting emails of like, hope you're doing OK. You, you'll get there. You're Aww. doing fine.
1: Buddy, it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> i am doing
0: fine it's, you are doing it's not fine. so bad
1: you're you're a great doggy parent soon
0: he will be a fine mountain dachshund right now he is more of a sleeping slumbering mountain dachshund
1: He's, you know what he did jump onto the treadmill yesterday when it was set to an incline granted it was turned off at the time but you know what i'm taking that as a positive
0: yes yes anything else up what else are we doing have you done anything different movement wise this week
1: You know, I actually, I yes, I guess I have. I mean, I ran that marathon on Sunday, so it's been a bit of a recovery week since then. That was a
0: little flatter.
1: That was a very yeah. That was a flat, faster, hotter marathon than I'm definitely used to. Heat
0: adaptation is the 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 big thing. It came out of nowhere. Yep. Yeah. I I think think the message we need to reiterate for ourselves and everyone else is just it's okay to go a little slow, and you're going to feel a little crummy, but much like altitude, it just takes a little bit and. Everyone goes through it. So I always say it's free training. You just go slower it'll be good
1: yes and if you want to get through a marathon as quickly as possible definitely set yourself a work deadline that is only four hours from the time <laughs> you start the marathon
0: well that's just good like planning into your day right pro tip uh, well especially when you're <laughs> uh, what is that that's the like gretchen rubin like what uh, i don't remember what that is for but there's like four types right oh, yeah. and you're, you're like an appeaser or something obliger
1: obliger i like to think i'm an upholder so i'm like I both, like, deal with my personal obligations to me, but then also obligations to literally anyone else.
0: Right, right. So there's some people who will just do stuff for themselves, I guess, which this is very simple. But this is Gretchen Rubin in...
1: Uh, The Four Tendencies, um, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project...
0: Um, and you can probably look this up online. I I don't know that it's like necessarily proven. Uh, no, but it is unquote. a
1: super interesting book and it does make you think about like what makes you, what makes you tick basically. So it's, I'll say it's less about the research and more about thinking just like what's going to motivate you. So for some people, like if you're an obliger then for exercise, you might need to have like someone you run with or a coach that's like keeping you accountable.
0: And then there's like the rebels who like, I have a few clients like this and I, I may be a bit this way, but like a few that like they'll, the second anyone tells them to do anything, it's like an absolute no and they won't do it. Right. Like they're like that stubborn sort of like they, until they decide to do it and like are, are happy with the, the reason why right but they all they almost have this like instant no and so mm-hmm. they have to be careful in a variety of ways but they're also like they're, there's advantages to all of the tendencies i guess yeah right? it's sort absolutely. of an interesting way to look at things
1: yeah um, so that's I think we should include a link to that in the show notes because well, it is now that we've talked about it, yeah, for sure. it is one, it is a book that I like coming back to. But anyway, yeah, like, for me, I guess, like the fastest way to get me done with a marathon was to have a marathon on the calendar for myself that, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not do the marathon just because I have this thing at noon that I have to be on. right. So. you sort
0: of doubled. Because you you had said well tripled almost because you told the uh, a guest oh, we had oh my goodness yeah um, that you were going to do this with her for her her marathon uh, I guess virtual marathon stuff she was doing yeah and then you t- said online I think we also said on the podcast prematurely and then you also had a work engagement you had to get back for
1: yeah exactly so I really set myself up for success like a there. burning
0: the boats and the bridges and everything else <laughs> yeah yeah well I guess the bridges would get burnt if you like left let the people down.
1: Yeah, I don't even yeah. know what you did it was <laughs> whatever I did it was it was a little rough uh, that hour I got back as it turned out but it was it was all fine um I had a puppy that was happy to see me and that made it much more tolerable
0: yeah so that's that's that we're just sort of going through the motions here things are opening up a little bit more with with stuff but still sort of keeping distance as as everyone is and yeah, it's good. I'm back out, able to do sort of one-on-one skill sessions at a distance outside. So that that's been really good to actually be able to connect with people a bit and start working on bunny hops and cornering and all this stuff again. So yeah, I
1: know how much you missed that over the last, even like since we got, got back. Because I, you know, in Girona we were doing a lot of that with the, uh, the a little we bit, had yeah, our camp. yeah.
0: But, yeah. And just seeing like, I mean, whether it's a, a formal skill or just people progressing or getting more confident, right? So certainly in the camps, you see that as people figure out group riding and they're able to stick into it or, you know, whatever the thing is. Cornering is a big one on the, the road camps.
1: Yeah. Well, and you can find out more about uh, Peter's bike skill sessions over at com. Um. Yeah, if
0: you're in the Mansfield, sort of Collingwood area right now, the trails are amazing because they were all closed for so long. But everyone, I guess they were able to do trail work. So just like the soil is so good right now because we weren't riding it early. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's quite good. So hopefully we can get out.
1: Yeah. On the note of, uh, businesses that are opening back up, I guess here in Ontario, uh, chiropractors are getting back to work. So that makes it's true this episode a very relevant one. And
0: actually Mark, uh, our guest today, Mark Roca, Dr. Mark Roca, is a chiropractor and strength coach, uh, in Barry, Ontario. So all our Barry listeners will be excited there. Uh, he's very popular there with a lot of the athletes. So, uh, a recommendation to, to have Mark on was actually through Peter DeSerra, who was in line in line to go to the Olympics for this year for mountain biking and is a good friend for many years. Um, and, and he had had great success working with Mark. Uh, so talking to him actually in Spain while we were there for a camp, we got talking about uh, Mark and all that he was up to. And then coincidentally, I had it on my list to connect with Mark. And then Mark had sort of heard about me, I guess, uh, which is an honor. And so we actually just had like sort of a meetup. So we actually, a lot of our talk was just us sort of chatting and, and getting to know each other virtually, as is the way these days. Uh, but I, st- sort of twisted his arm a bit to actually let us record a bit of it and and use it so molly's edited this up to some of the the things that i thought would would be like good takeaways for everyone we have a, a bit around sort of movement and some of the exercises or different movements that he might use with people around sort of neck shoulder issues which are very common right now with cyclists but then also with everyone looking down at their laptop on their lap you know working out of their bedroom or something to get away from the kids so I thought that this would be a great episode for right now and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, chiropractors are opening up. Right. That's how Molly got us onto this. So yeah, definitely we're starting to see a little bit of sessions and stuff. So certainly if you're in the Bay area and looking for someone, I know Mark is doing a bit of virtual um, e-health type stuff as well too, uh, but hopefully you can get in to actually see him one on one.
1: Yeah. We'll have all you're of that looking. info in the show notes. And for now, enjoy this episode with Mark Roca.
0: What's your connection to cycling, aside from, like, helping the cyclists and treating them? Like, what are what are you doing cycling-wise?
2: Yeah, so, um, for me, it just started growing up on a BMX. <laughs> um, so, that's sort of, biking's always been sort of my go-to to just sort of, I can just get on my bike and go. Um, so, it started off on BMX and just hucking myself off some pretty big ramps and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff in my younger days. And then, as you get older and start having kids and mortgages and et cetera, it's not really... Sustainable to keep doing that so then that kind of morphed into mountain biking and then from the mountain biking I need realized I need better fitness and then they got me onto the road bike um, So that's sort of how that all sort of snow, Snowballed but essentially it was always for me. It was just being on two wheels and the, and the freedom that it brought me um, And then from there wanting to give back to the community and getting more involved in the community and then it just kind of snowballed from there really
0: do you see as far as strength training, like, is that, do you think think like trying to include things like crawling and uh, I guess more, I guess, for lack of a better term, primal, but some of these things that maybe aren't traditional, you know, just simply squatting or simply lifting something. Um, do you find that in your, your own sort of the routines you're using? Because you do a bit of personal training as well.
2: Yeah, I do some. So, through my sort of my, my RAD project, my side project, that's sort of where, where I work with that, which is essentially stuff I can't do in an outpatient clinic. Um, yeah, I, there, there's sort of a couple of ways to sort of approach that. Um, I think using them from a more corrective standpoint can be beneficial as part of a more corrective strategy. So, say, for example, we addressed okay, this particular activity causes pain or it doesn't, ca- doesn't necessarily list it pain, but I think we can be more efficient, then we'll throw that in as part of the corrective strategy. Um, but again, we want to sort of do so in a minimum effective dose. So one trend that I've sort of seen, and um, Craig Liebenson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Craig, refers it to as corrective rehab purgatory. Right. <laughs> where you get this whole manual, and I mean, you shouldn't have to spend 30 to 40 minutes doing corrective work. It should sort of, It should be. I sort of look at it as part of a warm up. Um, you know, obviously we want to increase the tissue temperature. We want to increase the cardiac output. We we want to warm up all those things. But I think we also need to include that for me, anyways, as part of like a neurological warm up. Um, so to make sure that things are moving as efficiently as uh, as possible, and that those firing patterns are sort of accomplishing what they need to accomplish. So from my standpoint, it's, okay, yeah, that's part of the warm-up. So maybe, okay, jump on the trainer, spin for 10, 15 minutes, get the heart rate up. Okay, let's do some of these primitive patterns that are specific to that individual athlete. Okay, so maybe we, we've identified a, a deficiency that might translate into cornering on, on an XCO course. Okay, well, we're going to break down that pattern into its most basic, almost like a first principles kind of approach, so this is the lowest combo denominator. We're gonna do these primitive patterns to sort of attack that, and then we get up and then we do what we gotta do. So it's getting, get out, minimum effective dose. Um, it, it, it should supplement the wor- the workout, but it shouldn't be the workout. Right. that that's a, that's a trend I've seen a lot of uh, over the last several years is, you know, everyone's gotta do all this corrective work, but no one's getting bigger, faster, stronger. <laughs>
0: Right, right, and it should almost be a two-way street in that, like the one's feeding into the other. But like, hopefully, you're squatting, and hopefully, you're, you know, lifting things over your head and working on, you know, that sort of stuff. So,
2: yeah. hmm. And then at the end of the day, it it should be translate. It should be working towards that goal. Um, if you're doing these permanent moves and you're you're not noticing a difference in strength or speed or movement economy or whatever it needs to be, then you need to, you need to move away from that because it's it's not helping.
0: Yeah, and often with correctors, I mean, I'm sure you'd see this more in the um, in the clinical practice, but the you know often it's like you're trying to get people to do something. You said the minimum effective dose, and like often it's like these are 52 exercises that you need to do all day, and it's like, well, no, like I I'm pretty invested in this sort of stuff, and like if if you get five minutes a day to do whatever the activity is, you know, your therapy exercise, then that's that's pretty sweet, right? So it's it is trying to get it down as the the therapist as the clinician is very tricky to find that one thing.
2: Yeah. And then that's sort of, you, you really need to be in tune with, with who your athlete or your patient is. And like I, like I said, I sort of think this DNS model or this developmental kinesiology model is amazing, but for some patients, there's just no way I'm going there. So, you know, so if I've got a 50 year old truck driving pot bellied hockey dad that just wants to sit on the couch and just watch hockey and bitch about the Leafs, if I can just get them down to do a bird dog, that's a win. (laughs) So I'm I'm going to avoid the higher level stuff. So there's stuff that I'll do with, say, like like an elite cyclist. Because they're an elite cyclist and they have the time and they have the focus and the attention to detail and they'll, they'll put forward what needs to be done. But on the other end of the spectrum, if I can just get them to do a squat, or if I can just get them to do some kind of a glute bridge or just do something, then that's a win. Yeah.
0: I saw recently you had a, I think it was, I have it written down here for some reason, but uh, sort of this concept of training movements and I guess even activity versus thinking always rep sets, you know, training. Um, am I correct in that you just recently had something about that? I might have,
2: it caught yeah. my eye of something. I'm yeah. sure you have something yeah. in that line. There's a few things there, yeah. So um, one of one of the things that seems to be pre- – has gotten a lot very popular in the last several years is this concept of glute amnesia. And people mm. have glutes that don't fire or they have a weak core. Um, I mean, uh, and unless your backside is as flat as a pancake, like your glutes flyer. <laughs> well, if, they, you're, if, if they, you're
0: standing, I'm pretty sure they have to. Yeah,
2: yeah you, you can't ambulate without your glutes. Um, so that whole concept for me of just sort of – Discrete muscles doing discrete amounts of work. It's it's a bigger larger more integrated system, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's making sure that for me, okay Not that your glutes fire But your hips are strong or strong in extension So for in that case, it's okay. Can you squat? Can you deadlift and then different variations of those Versus having someone lie down in a prone yawned extension type drill and then trying to move their hip with just their glutes and turning off their erectors and their hamstrings. Uh, it's, it's not how it works. Um, yeah. it, it all needs to kind of work together. So it's just identifying weak patterns of movement, which I think um, if you're familiar with Dan John's work, I, I think he's… 100% super yeah. familiar. Yeah, so, so he breaks that down perfectly in just just basic patterns of pushing and pulling. And, and then walking and rolling essentially and then just identifying okay where is that athlete or where is that patient weak identify that pattern maybe do some type of a primitive movement to get everything firing in all cylinders and then get them off the ground and load them up in the squat rack
0: yeah it's funny how um you know he's big on the like a turkish get up but you know for men his challenge is uh like a a cup of water on your fist doing a Turkish getup, not like any fancy weight,
2: Mm -hmm. but that
0: like his contention is that most men need actually that like precise movement or that really delicate movement is, is more of a target. Right. Um, And it's, it's super hard, (laughs) especially (laughs) once, you know, every person, every adult has like one shoulder that's just, you know, has been through some battle, yep, (laughs) uh, you know, had some damage. Um, And so, yeah, my left one, it's just, I, could not like it's still and so i worked on it all winter we got a kettlebell while we were in spain um, and that was like big goal was just progressing that both with load and just more delicate but yeah uh, it's funny how that takes care of so much just even doing that motion as you say right
2: yeah it's just sort of just uh, in in a lot of cases there there there's pain there uh, but there doesn't need to be so it's just a matter of in, in some case i mean you need to respect pain especially if it's acute but if it's like you said it's that just by virtue of being an adult things are going to hurt um mm-hmm. it's sort of that, that scenario we shouldn't be shouldn't be afraid of pain and shouldn't be afraid to sort of load it up and i, I find load fixes a lot of things yeah um, and
0: gradual right i think none of us are good at that gradual loading but
2: um... well that's that's the thing right <laughs>
0: You know, and on that same topic, it seems like you do deal with a lot with scapula, with shoulders, with Mm -hmm. arms, Um, you know, and again, every, it seems like in the gym, like no one can, no one will crawl without complaining because of their, you know, wrists, whatever. And then everyone has some sort of modification for pulling overhead or pushing overhead or both. Yeah. You know, is there, as as adults, like what are, you know, what would be steps or what do you see commonalities that like we can, what are those gradual first progressions or, or steps that someone might do?
2: Yeah, so the the first progression for me it, it just comes down to stability in the sagittal plane. Um, so basically, any whether it's it's uh, you know a mom in an no outpatient setting or if it's sort of an elite athlete in my basement, um, that's always where things sort of start is, is at that sagittal plane stability. And th- and this became really really evident and reinforced it when I did this workshop a, a few weeks ago where I had a wide range of some chiropractors in there, some physiotherapists, massage, naturopath, trainers. So there was a big mix. And everybody seemed to do okay when we started with sagittal plane work. So that would, for me, that would be some kind of a plank variation or a dead bug variation um, is kind of the common starting point there. And then they did okay with that. But once we started venturing to higher level patterns where we started looking in the transverse or the frontal planes, a lot of breakdown happened and regardless of how it got cued, things wouldn't get fixed until we had control of that sagittal plane.
0: And you mean in their own personal motion or in their understanding of the motion, just so to clarify. So uh, like you probably like, both. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So then, so you're going from a plank, but then what would be like transitioning up into like sort of a side plank or like what would be an example of moving to the transverse or
2: frontal yeah. then? Yeah, so frontal plane, your, your classic example there is going to be a uh, like a side or first plane once we kind of get into some rolling patterns uh, or that kind of thing. And anytime if, even if you're standing on one leg, as soon as you're on one leg, you're in the transverse plane, um, okay. which is running, which is a very, very athletic movement. Uh, so it's, it's bringing it back there and regaining stability through the sagittal plane And which was a big one for me when I started venturing down this rabbit hole was, um, I, you know, you know, I could hold a plank forever. You know, you've got six pack, you got the whole thing, but as soon as you truly challenge your body stabilizing system, it becomes very, very obvious, very, very quick where my deficiencies were and any of the higher level stuff that I tried to do, I just, it was a wash. Once I gained control of that sagittal plane, everything else kind of opened up.
1: Hmm
2: and then so so from there with sagittal plane, um i'll usually start people in, in a supine position work on the trunk and then work on the neck um and, and getting them stabilizing and working in harmony once we have that established then then we sort of diverge into more specific needs and for me too that it's also a good metric that even if they're struggling with the buy-in up front if they put the work in for that they're going to put the work in elsewhere if they're not going to put the work in there then i just simplify and i'll just go with like a mcgill's big three and call it a day
0: you mentioned running being athletic i'm you know same with cycling i'm like i think a lot of us as cyclists like you know we're all just on the trainer and no one ever actually works that hard we think we work hard but we're just working moderately and yeah. I think a, a lot of it relates to what you're talking about, which is why, again, I got interested in what you're doing in your courses and stuff too, is like, to me, so much of it is movement oriented, position oriented, that we'll never be able to go really hard, you know, over threshold or whatever you want to call it, because of this breathing, right? Like you've just talked about clamping down all the muscles that are important for breathing and, you know, looking around even, <laughs> let alone, you know, sometimes yep. we might like when we can go outside again, um, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll steer around the trees, right? So it's, This is really, really good. So, we have someone on their, laying face up, and we're talking about the muscles on the front of the neck. So, then what would be a motion then, or exercise that someone might do as sort of like a a primary? Yeah. Corrective, and it's there's a million different things you'd want to look into, but just as a basic. mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. So one of one of the starting points we did, um, for for this kind of a case. Once we sort of get into that, again, as we're climbing up and we're getting more and more muscle or more unit recruitment and more and more muscles are working to produce force, is we we get a lack of differentiated movement between the head, the shoulders, the neck, and the thoracic spine. It just becomes one big, stiff unit. And we, we don't really get much differentiation from there. So I'll start with getting... In a supine position, I'll usually have the legs elevated because that sort of helps establish a more normalized relationship between the pelvis and the ribcage, um, which will, without getting too much into sort of trunk stability, I want to sort of start there. Then with the neck, um, a lot of therapists and kins will be familiar with sort of chin retractions. Um, so from there, I'll have them retract the chin and try to get them into a more neutral position And then for me, stability, especially when we're beginning, it's super important to start in a closed chain and be able to absorb ground reaction forces. So from there, I'll have a gentle force sort of around the nucle line and the occiput into the floor. And reflexively, most patients will feel those deep neck flexors kind of engage. And they'll feel them turn on. And this is a case where because so many people aren't used to using them anymore, um whether it's riding bikes or staring at screens all day it, it brings us back to okay this is a conscious awareness this is what i want you to feel okay and then as they gain that kinesthetic awareness or that we're recalibrating the gps of a more ideal joint position then we can sort of venture off um are you familiar with the wall bug exercise
0: wall bug yeah. uh, you'll have to take me through that one <laughs>
2: So again, so if you can imagine we're, we're lying on the ground, head is maybe half an inch to an inch away from the wall.
0: Okay, I think I actually know where you're going, but keep going for everyone yeah. else.
2: So we, we set up the trunk through some various breathing drills, get the neck lying. So now everything from a stability standpoint, if we, if we think of like old school Christmas lights where one bulb doesn't work, none of them come on. Essentially, first first line of order here is let's just make sure all the bolts are screwed in and they work. So now stability is going to be turned on. Shoulders, elbows going to be at about ninety degrees with hands pushing into the wall. Mm-hmm. So now, when the upper extremity, we're back in that closed chain to drive stability through the scapulothoracic complex. Right. With integration of the neck now. Okay. So now we've got stability at least in neutral through the upper half of the body and then alternate leg heel drops which again now we're getting into that flexion extension pattern which we see in cycling so in this drill we've got sagittal plane stability we're mobilizing the t-spine with some differentiation of the lower extremity which translates into 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 cycling at least as a starting point
0: or or walking or running really right yeah. yeah Yeah, we'll just try and keep that stable. But then also you're doing that same sort of chin tuck with pressure into the ground in that case, or are you just sort of chin tucking in that
2: this case? Yeah, so, so we're chin tucking and then we're, we're getting some pressure of the occiput into the ground. Okay. So then uh, as, as we're, we're absorbing those ground reaction forces, we're, we're driving stability through the chain.
0: It's funny, I use the word tension a lot. Do you think that's, like in this case, we're developing tension into the, to the wall above us? Would you say tension or how would you describe that to someone?
2: Yeah, great question. So
0: It's like stability comes from tension. Not that we want to be like tight and like you're describing everyone's like super tight and hunched over. Yeah. Um, but like to me in cycling, even when someone's not finding balance, they're not finding like the tension into the pedal or tension to the bar.
2: Right.
0: Um, and here it, to me seems like you're developing tension into the wall to make that a closed chain exercise. Yeah. But how would you describe it?
2: Yeah. So again, that really sort of depends where we're at uh, on the spectrum. So if, if something's weak or, or isn't contributing as much as what I think it should be, then then we'll we'll develop tension. We'll wake it up. We'll turn it on, and it'll be like an all hands on deck. Let's just turn this on and, and get things stronger. If it's right. if it's weak. Now that being said, I think when it comes to stability or strength, and, and again, this won't, isn't the first and probably won't be the last time I quote Dan John. But when it comes to strength, enough is enough. so we we want to sort of turn the dial up to what we need. No more, no less. Right. So we, we need enough to get the task done, but we don't want any more than that.
0: That makes sense. Like we're not trying to break the wall because you just need to drop your heel, right? Like exactly. and you still need to breathe and stuff. We're not
2: yeah. um... So, so if you've got like a novice cyclist, you know they're, they you know their, their first time up a big hill, they're they're probably going over thresholds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being is you eventually want to get them into zone one zone two and still be able to get up that hill so from ability standpoint we kind of want the same thing we might need to start up here but the end game is let's do that with as little effort as possible
0: right i think that makes sense and you would get become more that's really efficiency that we're talking about now right it might not irregardless of fitness which may come and go yeah You know, once you understand how to mountain bike, there's certain things that you're going to be efficient at standing on the mountain bike, you know, pedaling, picking the right gear, whatever, um, putting yourself in the right position, as we're talking about. Right. But that that energy requirement to accomplish that shouldn't change in itself. Right. Your fitness and how how much how many times you can do that, I guess, will. but.
2: Yeah. Yeah. As much as necessary, as little as possible.
0: Okay, now you have uh, like a lot of people, you have a lot of kids at home, three. (laughs) Um, So, and I know you guys do a little bit, I've seen, you know, a little bit of pull-up action and stuff there. Um, How are you guys handling that whole fitness at home uh, with the kids right now?
2: Yeah, so with that, um, I I think with with kids in general, up until at least you sort of get into high school and and a little bit later into more physical and emotional maturity uh, as that happens, um, I think in the younger phases, like the, the age my kids are at, it's just exposure just to do a bunch of just novel and variety of different things. So translation, just unstructured play. Um, It's funny.
0: Yeah. In the gym, they always want to do like these crazy, I mean, back to our movements rep sets. And I'm always like, I just say, Hey, like let's, what do you guys want to do? And then like they'll invent a ball game and we'll just play this ball game. And then I'm like, let's make an obstacle course and see if we can get across this room without touching the ground or something. And they make things. Then you got to say like, Hey, that's a little dangerous. Let's pick another (laughs) direction. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing. Like they're so fun. And sometimes I'm like, wow, that was a really genius idea. <laughs> I'm going to use that with some yeah. adults.
2: <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. And if you watch the way that they move and they sort of self-regulate their efforts, like they've got it dialed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they need a break, they take a break. And when they don't, they don't. And and sort of that internal with it without any sort of conscious like am I in zone or do I need to recover a recovery day? They just they, they intuitively just get it. So if you just sort of give an opportunity to sort of be creative and explore um, all, all the the principles that, that are that are sound principles, they just happen automatically. So rather than try to sort of introduce structure and okay, well, when is too early for kids to lift weights and where you're 10 years old, so you're going to practice doing power cleans with a broom handle. Like let's just play, <laughs> have fun
0: yeah i mean could we throw a, a ball or something or you know jump or do any sort of things that are related to that yeah yeah,
2: yeah. well it's funny my my son he, he's a uh, he's savage for lack of a better word but anytime i'm in the basement and i'm playing with my kettlebells um the biggest one i have in there he he's obsessed with it he just is at it he just drools over it um and, and it weighs more than he does i'm like okay dude just just leave it just leave it so I'm okay, just pick up one of the, the, the lighter kettlebells. And so he'll pick up like a 15 or 20-pounder. And if you're looking at it from like a gym perspective, okay, I've got an athlete and I want them having good form, terrible. But then as soon as he goes to pick up the heavy one and the stakes have been raised, it's perfect. It's spot on. And then he just lifts it. Um, so it, it's funny. I just sort of – some of the videos I'll post on there where the kids, okay, Rowan might do a deadlift or one of the girls might do a pull-up. It's not that we're having structured workouts. I'm just letting them try it kind of. Yeah. It. And then, you know, they're, they're they're down there with me, and it's sort of the hope there is um, – and same with my wife, who, who she runs a lot and does a lot of yoga. It is sort of that just lead by example. So we're out here doing stuff. Um, you're welcome to join and sort of do your own thing and then just sort of pick things up along the way. In the hopes that, you know, we're we're not trying to produce the the next Peter DeSera or the next Jen Jackson. It's we just want kids that have a, a love and appreciation of physical activity. Yeah. If they just happen to be good, sweet, then give me a free bike.
0: <laughs> well, and I think the best thing we can do, you know, I've I try and do a lot of reading around this just with the work I do do with youth and the development and, you know, again, teaching and making sure that I'm instructing people properly and so yeah. forth. But um, it, it seems like it's really just, as you say, exposure to an environment, positive, you know, fun, yep. you know, and all these fundamental, I guess, movement skills early that you were talking about pull-ups. So you're just hanging, you know, you're using your arms overhead, yep. um, squatting, picking stuff up, you know, throwing yep. stuff around. Like there's not much more, I guess, sprinting, you know, crawling as, as we've been talking about a lot here.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, you just, you play tag and you wrestle and then you, you got your bases covered. hundred <laughs> percent,
1: Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Hey Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do?
0: Well Molly, let me tell you. I work with busy people that want to do big crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride and All these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our in our busy lives. Right. So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, And sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I, I coach and I build training plans and, you know that's that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case
1: and how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in in well, chatting with you you're on
0: the consummate athlete podcast you go to consummateathlete.com you can find coaching links on that website
1: awesome thanks peter
0: i had one random question this is going to seem random to you here as a, a way to fall fo- to almost conclude here but um Have you had any experience or or read anything, or it could be clinical, uh, with people running? You know, they'll run with their phone, uh, either in their hand or on an armband, or maybe on their hip. Like, do you see any downside to that, or or a requirement to mix that up? I don't think anyone's. You're leaving your phone. That's not acceptable. We're not leaving that at home. So, like, do you have advice or experience in that direction? It's okay if you don't. It's sort of random.
2: Well, yeah, it's it's funny because that you bring that up because I'm thinking back for a couple of years ago. an ultra runner and she was having some issues with one of her hips and so we're sitting there. I'm sitting there watching and she sort of had this funky little thing twisty thing going on and you sort of look and she's got this behemoth GPS watch and it sort of looked that okay she was just trying to she was changing her gait to accommodate this big bulky watch on her wrist And as soon as he took the watch off, the the gait pattern corrected itself and there was no further intervention required. So so I think, yeah, absolutely, if you're sort of holding your phone in the one hand or you got a big bulky watch or whatever the case may be, I think, yeah, absolutely sort of to mix that up because it it can have an impact, especially with an ultra runner. I mean, if you think about whatever cadence they're running at for 8, 16, 24, 48 hours at a time, that you know just that small discreet little minutia becomes a big big thing
0: yeah and i mean it's not a lot of load but a lot of load you know it, it doesn't have to be a lot of load when it's millions of reps right yeah. and small people often right like some of the especially female ultra runners can be very very petite so while a garmin watch does not necessarily weigh that much um you know times a million yeah Right.
2: Yeah. So, Um, so what what this athlete ended up doing was just putting the watch on a camelback strap, and then mm -hmm. and then the arms were unimpeded and and the gate corrected itself.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It sounds almost like smoke and mirrors, but um, yeah, it's funny because I've seen I've seen a couple clinical sort of stories in that direction. Um, Interesting. Yeah. It's funny how just those little weights. I guess it's not even funny, but I guess worth trying if you realize you know you have hip pain on one side and that phone's always. Always there. do you think it's possible that could relate even to like everyday life if you're always running there's the classic like wallet in the hip and the guy who's got hip from sitting on his wallet yeah. which is maybe more you know as far as spinal pelvis position but do you think you could do that same thing with a phone in front pocket
2: yeah um, good question I, I think sometimes it might be an issue sometimes probably not mm. um, I, I think if, it, if if nothing's broken don't fix it obviously uh, yeah but you know it, sometimes it's sort of those little things it's those little habits or those little movement stereotypes or those little things you do or the way you tie your shoes or putting putting the, the phone in the front pocket always on the right side or um, yeah sometimes very much the corrective strategy is just okay just address that
0: yeah and it's it's so much in just everyday life I think that we don't think about right again getting back to that like how many correctives can we fit into a workout or even to our our busy lives right but it's like you know we've been sitting here for an hour talking to each other and it's you know we know we think we know what we're talking about in some (laughs) way about something but um you know there's just all this variety right and how do you ever overcome you know i sit or stand the exact same way with my hip hiked or you know my head like off to the one side right and it's it's
2: yeah it's trippy and I find usually where that one sort of shines through the most is you sort of get those patients or those athletes where you're you're doing all the right things, whether it's manual therapy or corrective exercises or a combination of the two, and they're just sort of not getting over that hump. Um, sometimes it just comes down to those little stereotypes that happen on a day-in-day basis that you're not even aware of. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there was one lady I can think of, just chronic left-sided upper trap, levator scapulae-type symptoms. Didn't matter what we did. She was super compliant. Nothing nothing was working. And then the one day I went to go get her in the, wait, the waiting room, and she was slumped over on the right side with the shoulder right up in her ear looking at her iPad. And we're like, that's what it.
0: <laughs> right yeah you found out she works in like a call answer thing or something like that strikes me as the like holding your phone yeah. like, you know with your shoulder but she that's how she reads every single day yeah hmm and and was she able to correct that through lifestyle or
2: yeah i mean it's sort of one of those ones where you, that's sort of the one that hit it on the park we sort of stopped that and it worked yeah it's it's not always that easy but sometimes it is
0: yeah, because sometimes that could be like even like a visual thing, right? Like they're trying to get around. I think that's more with kids, you'd see that, right? Where they're like looking out of the side of their eye all the time because they have like astigmatism a or something like that.
2: Yeah. 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 The other one I really see that too is post concussion patients who mm-hmm. haven't totally cleared vestibular or visual rehab. Um, and, you know, every, they're, they're ticking all the boxes otherwise, but they're just sort of not getting over that hump. And then, you you know, you, you fix their their visual convergence and all of a sudden magically their neck pain goes away forever.
0: Do you do a bit of that as far as concussion and the vestibular stuff?
2: So with that, um, I, I co-manage in that case. So yeah. uh, I'm fortunate right around the corner from our clinic. We've got concussion north. Um, Dr. Shannon Baumann's clinic is right there. Okay. So we'll cool. do a lot of sports injuries there. And then another friend of mine, um, Connor at mm-hmm. Lancaster, um, super brilliant dudes. One of the smartest dudes I know. He's uh, very specialized with concussion management, so I'll send a lot of patients down his way as well, and then let let the the concussion specialist sort of take the reins, and then I'll jump in from a manual therapy, MSK type of rehab, and sort of follow their lead with whatever other stuff they want to do. So um, when when you're working with a team, you you stay in your lane, and everybody sort of plays their role, and then the patient gets better.
0: Especially with that, like it seems like with concussions just in I've been I, not even managing, but with clients trying to help them navigate that whole thing. It seems like when there isn't immediate resolution or even like the week, the month, uh, it's often like you say, just someone hasn't checked on that vestibular or the neck musculature or like those couple other like causes it seems like can be causal or other things that can be causal.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of more trying to to look look upstream and sort of snipe out okay what exactly is going on here instead of just okay this is the plethora of symptoms let's just reverse engineer everything until we can sort of snipe out where that is so like analogy wise if you if you're sitting by a creek and every day you go there there's just constantly garbage in there you can keep picking out the garbage or walk upstream and find out who's throwing it in there and then deal with it that way
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. So, mm-hmm. before you turn the furnace on, make sure the doors are closed. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it.
1: Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, And it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to.
0: If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of Other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website.
1: And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.